it's Fulhamish Podcast. This is your sideways view of everything to do with Fulham FC. Thank you for downloading this week's episode. It's the first show of March. My name is Sammy James. Thank you to Jack Collins for stepping in last week. He is guest number one on tonight's podcast. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. Don Betts is here. As usual. Well, not as usual, but you know, I'll do. <laughs> sometimes here, sometimes not. We don't know if we're going to get the pleasure. And Ben Jarman is here as well. Good evening. How are we all doing? Pretty Fine. good. Yeah, yeah, not too good. bad, not too bad. All happy with an excellent victory on Saturday. So it was Gentry Day a celebration for Preston fans of supporting their club and the travelling fans were all given plastic black top hats. However, what they witnessed was a hat-trick of Fulham goals capped off by a return to goal-scoring form from Chris Martin. Will we see a return to his peak form? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, We'll be discussing the Preston victory plus also the permutations and combinations of Fulham potentially reaching the top six. There'll be a preview of our tough tests against Leeds and Newcastle. And at the end of the podcast, we'll be answering your questions as always. So we asked you guys for your three-word reviews on Twitter of Saturday's game. Glass Half Fulham said, Neeskins, Neeskins Cabano, which I very much nice, like, nice. in honour of his uh, brand new chant that is currently doing the rounds at home and away. Uh, white Noise, uh, we always have some time for White Noise, said, Nearing Top Gear which I think is uh, very accurate. Uh, and David Kettlehake uh, said, someone please lose. <laughs> which uh, was the case on Saturday. A great three points. Unfortunately, uh, none of the other playoff contenders did slip up. Uh, but one of the playoff contenders that did slip up were Preston. They were just one point and one place behind us uh, as we went into Saturday's game, Jack. But as was evident after the game, these two sides are just poles apart. Yeah, seriously convincing win. And I thought that we looked at points in real control. And we said last week that this was a potential banana skin. The form of Ada McGeady looking, you know, coming into the game. Jordan Huggill as well, who scored a, a lot of goals in the last sort of period of the of the of the season. And Daryl Horgan's been playing well for them as well. So there was a lot of potential banana skins around that pitch but Fulham in complete control for the majority of the game and minor, minus one minor slip up from young Ryan Sessegnon I think that we had a, an almost flawless performance Yeah Dom it was a convincing 3-1 victory uh, that is the first time that Fulham have won by that scoreline this season uh, it didn't look in too much doubt and I didn't speak to any Preston fans personally after the game but there were lots of people on Twitter saying that Preston fans were saying um, once again we've heard this many times before that this is the best footballing side they've seen this season. It's becoming quite a recurring theme that opposition fans are saying this about Fulham. Yeah, I couldn't care less what they've got to think about our footballing style, to be honest. I'd rather be just getting the results in, no matter how they come. But yeah, I wasn't really... I was like, how are this team only one point behind us? Because they weren't really offering anything except a route one ball up to the top. And yeah, the game never really looked in any doubt. And we are the form side in the league. We're top in the form table over the last five games, in third in the last 10, and I think maybe fourth in the last 20. So... For me, it never really was in doubt. It's just you always know our home record isn't hasn't been as good as our away record this season. Although, what's that? Three home wins on about four home wins on about now, and so at home we started to feel like oh we sh- we're going to be winning this game. And obviously, our big our big games for the season are our away games and not obviously our home games. If you look at it that way. Yeah, I saw um, some stats that if Fulham win all of their remaining home games, coupled with one away victory, maybe say at Rotherham. Uh, we'd finish on 77 points. So the home form, Ben, is very key to what Fulham are trying to achieve this season. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like we're finally going back to the to the period where we had Cottage as a bit of a fortress. And if you look back on the playoffs over the past three years, 
77 points is enough to get in in 2015 and 2013. So based on that history that you could say that we could quite comfortably make it into the playoffs. But obviously I feel this time around there's a much stronger class uh, in, in team um, and it's going to be much closer at the top because there's arguably probably about seven or eight teams here in the championship that are cut above the rest. Yeah, and we're going to go um, much deeper into the playoff chase later in the pod and look at some of the stats. And uh, I think lots of people are trying to work out exactly um, how many points is required and how uh, the run-ins of all the other teams may affect what Fulham are trying to achieve. But let's stick to the Preston game first and foremost. Uh, another game uh, with kind of really high possession uh, for Fulham, but unlike maybe the games against Wigan and Nottingham Forest, uh, we looked a little bit more ruthless in attack and a bit more stringent in defence. Yeah, definitely. And we looked much more clinical, even if there was a lot of possession without too many necessarily, you know, goals. It was more that we actually had a crack and we hit the we hit the post and keeper made a couple of good stops and we just looked like we had a little bit more attacking nous and, and good intentions when we were sort of getting the ball into good positions. And I think that we'll touch on it later when we go into Leeds, but one of the reasons they beat Birmingham so convincingly on on Friday night was that they were just unbelievably ruthless with their possession and Birmingham were actually probably the better side for most of the game and but Leeds took all three of their you know big chances and that's that's the kind of form that wins you games and we're going to need to sort of do that back to them tomorrow night if we're to you know to have any hope of beating Leeds. Yeah I think at times we can look very passive with the possession we have and we tend to try and play it around a bit too much when we could just shoot um, a little bit earlier, and I think like the likes of uh, Cabano has has played a massive part in that because he's not afraid to have a shot, and I think Gaete is the same. Um, Aluka you could probably put in the same bracket, but unfortunately his shots aren't as lethal as Cabano's or Aite's. Um But I think like the biggest, the market improvement here is definitely when we're out of possession. I think we looked much more solid. We retained some sort of system. We went narrow out of possession, where sometimes we tends to be quite easy to play against. And I think the only time that we probably lacked that structure uh, and that maturity was their, their goal when Sessegnon got lulled out a little bit. I mean, um, Preston were trying to play counter-attacking football. They were trying to hit us on the break. But it's that line in their defensive third of the pitch where they just struggle to play the ball out from the back. And that's how Fulham seemed to stop Preston on Saturday. Because every time they had the ball, they, just, they were just lumping up top because they, I th- presume we were just pressing their back line so easily, mm. so they had to launch it up top. They couldn't just play it out of the back. And we seem to win most of the knock-ons or the second balls, which is good, because sometimes we don't. Yeah. And that's a lot how we can see a lot of the goals we do. But, yeah, apart from a small lapsing concentration, you could maybe argue from Sessegnon, it was a pretty comfortable win. And, yeah, I was surprised at how close they were to us, considering how bad they played. I think like there's there's a, a coach out there, I can't remember the name, who always says that the faster you play the ball up to the top, the quicker it comes back to you. And I think that Fulham have taken that on board this season because last we were just humping up quite quite route, like going route one. This time we're using passes, we're using sequences to get out of the back and it's working for us. We're getting through the press quite easily and we're looking really powerful, especially going forward. Yeah, and uh, Fulham once again took an early lead. So we mentioned it before the Wigan game. Uh, that Fulham barely ever score in the first half an hour of matches. I think back then Fulham had scored in three matches in the yep. first half an hour. We've now done it in our last five league matches. 
Um, I tweeted influence. Yeah, it's nice that Slavis is listening to the podcast. So, <laughs> shouts out to that. And you know, it's obviously you know having an effect, and it's something that he's he's really worked on. And so, I'm really I'm actually really proud of Slavis and the boys for taking on our advice and, and moving forward with it. It was a well worked goal though. Uh, Cabano with a brilliant cutback and great anticipation from Aluko uh, to be first to that cutback. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But then again, it's for me. There's a there's like another factor in there. It's Martin's run to the uh, to the towards the near post, but opens up the gap for Aluko to get into. But then before that, I think um, it's something we haven't really touched on for the past few weeks. But um, since we we lost to Spurs and we had a couple of tricky games before that with Wigan and Forest, we've really introduced the overload back into the system. And if you look on that throw in, there's probably four or five players in that corner that pass through the press and then the ball gets put in and there's loads of space for a Luka to drift into and it's fantastic to see. It's a great strike and on the sort of on the swivel and it's a great instinctive finish. And one of the things that I was thinking about earlier is if a Luka shoots low, he tends to do far better than if he shoots high <laughs> because as you know, we've seen most of his goals this, this season, you know, his five league goals now. I think one of them was the bundle against Preston away. Yeah. But and a bundle rest- against Brentford. Yeah, but in fairness, that was a low strike that was saved and he sort of bundled in. But they've all been, they've all come from like slide goals rather than when he looks for the top corner, he yeah. always seems to miss. And I think there's something maybe, you know, if the service is continuing to listen, this is maybe <laughs> something he should tell Luke. You know, in football manager will like tell shoot you, low. shoot low and uh, shoot low and hard. And, you know, I think that's probably something that's worth pointing out that he has, you know, when he's doing that kind of thing on the swivel, keeping shots low, you know, there's a better chance of going in. It's something Cabano's proved kind of its worth as well. Cabano always seems to strike the ball low and it's paying off for him. Yeah, I had a look at um, Aluko's stats in Scorker the other day actually when I was looking for some some stuff on, on Kenny and just looked at his and all of them have come bottom right, I think for the most yeah. part, which is obviously him cutting across his body on his left, so... Just carry on. Yeah, keep doing what you do, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Chris Martin uh, was back in the team on Saturday. That was probably the most interesting uh, point from Slavisa's lineup. Uh, potentially a result of, of Piazon's injury. Do you think now Chris Martin's going to get a little bit more game time because of Lucas's injury? It changes the dynamic of Fulham's forward play, not having Lucas as an option. He should start anyway. I don't see why he hasn't. He's he's so critical to the to the way we attack, and he sort of he may not he may not have looked like he was in the game, but he was so critical to our win on Saturday because the amount of time he can hold the ball up where if Aite or whoever's playing through the middle they can't do that, and you can tell by his goal he's a he's a clinical finisher, and it, it was quite different to many of the other Chris Martin goals we've seen this season. But yeah, he's, I don't understand why he wasn't playing anyway. Like he's our only number nine, really. Do you think that the eleven that Slavisa put out on Saturday is our strongest eleven? I mean, you can maybe argue with Ayite in the side for maybe Cabano, but apart from that, yeah, I think that's our strongest side on paper. I think I would have Ayite in there, but I think that's because I'm probably a bit more of a fan of his on a personal level. Just a pure fanboy. Yeah, exactly. I think for Martin as well, as we mentioned, the first goal, great movement. The second goal as well, when he pulls off the off the centre-back uh, of Preston was, was fantastic. And then the, the way he just gave the keeper the eyes, the keeper doing it completely the wrong way, and it's a great finish. Um, I think it just shows his quality, and as Dom says, his ability to hold up the ball against championship centre-backs who are probably six foot three, six foot four. Him holding it up, I feel much more confident, and his link-up play is much better than a smaller forward would be. 
He's and a, a terrific run from Fredericks. Yeah, I don't yeah, know why he was playing inverted fullback for, for that goal, but <laughs> he's made a diagonal run across. The, yeah, but he, I don't understand why no one was closing him down. He's been watching Guardiola again. Yeah, the Leighton Baines underlap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had so much time on the ball in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, and was, but Martin looked like sharp and engaged again, which was nice to see. And even you know people said that it was a good performance and he was clapped off, obviously, which was which is nice and and good for him. And he's got an opportunity now with Piazon gone to sort of repair that relationship and and really you know get this chance and grab it and hold it. And if he can then do the business at the business end of the season, then you know the fans the fans will you know come back to him because he is. A good player with a, yeah. you know, who's going to find the net, and you know, you wouldn't be surprised now to see him get a run in the team and a run of goals, eh? Mm. Yeah, you know, he likes a run of goals. Exactly. I think he's he's our our cool original finisher. Um, as you guys were speaking about Doritos a few pods back, <laughs> he's a he's a cool finisher. That went a very left field conversation that one. Mm. I'm not sure how it got there. Uh, Preston did manage to get one goal back. Um, a little bit sloppy, as we've said, from Cess not to see the runner. Uh, coming in behind him. But Cesc had had a good uh, game until that point, just a, a minor blip, really, on the afternoon for Fulham. Yeah, it's, it's also a good ball. That's something that needs to be... Yeah. And a good, it's a good ball and a good run. Cesc, you know, it should maybe be slightly more switched on, but as we've pointed out before, we'd, we've argued that Cesc is arguably more per, positionally aware than Malone is. Mm. So... Yeah, Malone would still be in our attack in our half. half. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> But so you you know you're not I'm not going to call him out and be like oh this would be better or worse it's not one of those but you know it's a good ball and maybe he should be more switched on but it hasn't cost us and I think I think you will we'll see him alone back in for tomorrow night whether that's right or wrong I think that Cess looked a bit jaded towards the end but he did deliver some excellent corners and we'll come on to corners later but I thought that two of Cess's deliveries Callas should have done a whole lot better with but looked much better than Johansson did the week before and that hurts me to say it. It was nice uh, for Fulham not to fall apart though when we went uh, to 2-1 because it was a it was a tricky situation. They'd scored with over 20 minutes left. Am I correct on the timings there? Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of fans would have been getting the bottle emojis at the ready, uh, ready to lambast the side. But actually, it didn't really change our style of play or what we were trying to do too much. We still went through the motions, didn't panic, didn't panic and eventually got our reward. Yeah, that's the sign of a team that are obviously playing with a huge amount of confidence and confidence within their playing style and something that I bang on about week in, week out and you're probably bored of it now. It's just the identity that we play with and we back ourselves to to beat whoever's in front of us and it's really nice to see. Mentally, it's it's something that would have affected us last season but obviously Savisa's installed a winning mentality into our team and I think quietly we're all hoping that we'll make it into playoffs and uh, that's the players obviously feel the same as well. The Ben identity. No, sort of like the Bourne identity but not as good. Yeah, so I was trying to... A bit to, more uh, hairy. I was trying to butcher that pun in. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you've got the crowbar out yeah, there yeah. in LA, you know, waiting, a lot. waiting for the Ben legacy as well. <laughs> and there'll be no legacy. <laughs> and, when you leave the pod, and when you leave the podcast, it'll be the Ben ultimatum. Oh, there we are. There yeah, we there we are. <laughs> uh, so the man to rescue us was this man. Neeskins go, bar no. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I would have joined in, but I can't actually hear. <laughs> uh, how big an asset could he be now between uh, this point and the end of the season? Because his goals are proving pretty vital. Well, yeah, he he did it in Belgium, and he, like, I don't understand why people thought he wouldn't do this. It's what he's been doing in his career throughout Belgium. Like we, I don't know how we sort of got him really, because he didn't come to us for a while because they needed him for their 
Europa League tie, I believe, yeah. in Genk. And yeah, he's a goal, he's a really good goal scoring midfielder. He's sort of a lot different to Aluko, probably. Because yeah. um, obviously Aluko maybe offers more to the team overall, but as a goal as a goal scoring asset in midfield, you can't really look past Nisikin Scabano. And he doesn't really score wonder goals; he just gets goals when when it's needed of him. They're all scrappy, aren't they? Oh, this exactly one weekend was quite nice. Yeah, it was. It was a good finish. finish. It was a good finish. He's got five goals slash assists in five games since Wigan now. And <laughs> he's come back from AFCON on some sort of fire. And it's exactly what we need at, I'm going to use this phrase again, the business end of the season. There we and go. And he looks like the kind of player that, you know, could be, you know, that asset that changes us from, from seventh to sixth. Or, you know, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of margins we're working with now. And if you've got someone who's going to, you know, score them scrappy winners and scrappy, you know, points to get you points. Mm. And already, so what's Cabano's worth five points already on his own yeah. from, you know, uh, Wigan and Forrest and Cardiff. Yeah. So, you know, those five points are the difference between us being five behind with with a game in hand or ten behind with a game in hand. And that's a real, real different position. I like him because of his incisiveness. I think if you compare him directly to Aluko, he's very, very good at getting into the box and running the channels and giving himself an option to score. Whereas Aluko does all his work outside the box. And I think feel like that sort of withdrawn winger role that Aluko plays, whereas Cabano is sort of like a running behind, is a really nice balance to have up front. I feel like him and Aita are very, very similar in their playing style. And you can see that because they both came through the same academy, I believe, in France. So Cabano won an award not long ago, actually, about being the best African player at Clairefontaine, I think it is, which is like the the academy that all the guys come through. And he, he also came through the PSG Academy a couple of years ahead of, if not alongside Moussa Dembele and won copious amounts of awards there as well, and scored a lot of goals. So he can definitely do it. He can do the business. At the business end. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so that victory, the 3-1 victory against Preston, uh, left Fulham on 56 points, seventh in the table. We now actually have a real buffer around us in terms of points um, from the sides either above us or below us. So it's five points uh, up to Sheffield Wednesday, four points down to Norwich City. I know we've got the game in hand, which comes a week on Tuesday uh, against Blackburn Black Rovers. Rovers. But it means whatever happens tomorrow night against Leeds, we will be in seventh place once the final whistle blows, unless I've horrendously miscalculated no, something. No, you haven't. I haven't, I haven't. So it leaves Fulham in a, in a position where we really can... I think, start to look at the playoffs. And I remember, I think, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the playoffs, I seem to remember Don was here on this one, and we just were all saying, nah, it's just a bit out of reach. It's probably not going to happen. And I think it's still more likely to not happen than to happen. But certainly Fulham fans are starting to believe, starting to dream uh, a little bit that it might be possible. So I put a uh, poll out on Twitter uh, yesterday, I said we're going to go in-depth onto the playoff chase, and that's what we'll do next. I said, who do you think won't make the top six? Rather than a straight, will Fulham make the playoffs? I thought it'd be interesting to see. This kind of answers two questions. A, do you think Fulham will make the playoffs? And B, if we do make the playoffs, who will it be at the expense at? Uh, 791 votes on this, so um, best part of a 1,000 people. So I feel like it's a good spread uh, of opinion from Fulham fans. Uh, 30% said Fulham won't make it. So that's 30% of people thinking that Fulham won't make the playoffs. That means, in theory, 70% of Fulham fans think we're going to make the playoffs, which I think is quite... Telling. 
Mm. Uh, 15% said Sheffield Wednesday. Now, I'd, you'd have thought that was the obvious answer of all of that were of any of the teams that weren't going to make it. Uh, only 5% thought Leeds. I didn't bother putting Huddersfield, Brighton or Newcastle into it. Do Am I right on that yeah, one? I think yeah. you're right there. Yeah, I think, I think it's too far. And then uh, Mavs fans, you may have calculated, that leaves 50% uh, remaining for Reading uh, to not make the playoffs. Reading currently, uh, that's seven points ahead of us. Yaps, it, chaps. Yaps, chaps in the hunt for the playoffs. <laughs> I mean... Let's look at Reading first, as everyone said that they are the guys that we think most likely to catch. They've got a tough run in, but seven points, even with a game in hand, is a lot to make up in just 12 games. They've got a tough next four, and then it looks like being relatively straightforward for Reading. They've got Newcastle at home, Preston away, Wednesday away, Leeds at home in their next four fixtures. Like, you could genuinely get naught points there. That's That's the... That's the kind of crux. But then it becomes very, very simple for Reading. If Reading are still in the top six by the time they finish playing Leeds at home uh, in four weeks, well, three weeks' time, then I think Reading will, will make the playoffs. I feel like people are underestimating Reading quite a bit here. I mean, despite them having quite a limited squad and people feeling the same way about it, and I have to admit, I feel like they have a, a quite an average squad as well. The way they're playing, the system they play in, they understand it quite well and they're up there for a reason, you know. Um, they keep grinding out results and this week they ground out another one against Wolves who, by, by and large, were on top for quite a, a large majority of that game. Still managed to come away with the win. If they keep grinding out wins in the same fashion that we are, like it's really difficult to see them dropping out. They've won a lot of this. games by just a odd, margin odd of one goal. They've won 15 games by just one goal, only four, I believe, by more than two goals. I think, do you think people are being a bit quick to write off Reading, Dom? Um, I think they look at them because we beat them 5-0 some, at, mm. at home and then they didn't really look at the away fixture where we didn't really look like we were giving anything. And as Ben said, they're really good at just grinding out results. And when you're going for the playoffs, that's what you need to do. But when you're looking at all these teams, I think the, it's not to look at their run-ins but the fixtures we've got against teams in the top six because that's where we're going to be gaining points potentially and they'll be losing points because we've still got some very, very tough away games to go. We've obviously got Newcastle on Saturday. We've got Norwich away on Good Friday. We've got Huddersfield away and Sheffield Wednesday away. And I feel like those are the games where it's going to decide who gets in and who doesn't because you can win the games at home. Yeah, that's great, but you're still relying on the other teams to drop points and you're going to get in by getting points against the other teams because they'll be dropping points at the same time. Uh, and then Sheffield Wednesday. Now, only 15% of Fulham fans thought that uh, Sheffield Wednesday would be the team to catch. Uh, they're the closest in terms of points at the moment. Uh, we also do face Sheffield Wednesday on the last game of the season. I can really foresee a situation now of um, Fulham having to go to Hillsborough to get a win to go into the playoffs. And that we just don't go to Hillsborough and win. Though. We hate playing at Hillsborough. I know, it's not a lovely fixture um, to end the season. And uh, there may be a very, I'm only a handful of Fulham fans at the moment, uh, given the, uh, the whole train situation, seeing as no train from London gets you to Sheffield in time. They, though, do keep grinding out results and a very impressive victory over Norwich demolished them. Yeah, well, they have Jordan Rhodes. I mean, what? It's not even that, though. They, they absolutely destroyed Norwich. And it was, you know, there was a couple of chances that maybe Norwich should have put away one more, one more but... 
overall the the entire fixture of play was was all Wednesday and they looked like they were going to score every time they got into the opposition half and yeah they had a bit of a slip up against Leeds and you know Jordan Rhodes missing a penalty of of all people but I think that the way they're playing and the games they have coming up they've got Burn at home next and then Villa like you can see them starting to put the, the gears into place and a bit like you know a bit like us to a point but you can see them starting to crank up the gears and their their run in i think is possibly the nicest of anyone's they have the only tricky tricky fixtures they really have like, i know everyone can beat everyone in the championship but the only fixtures you look at them and go oh maybe that'll be a bit tough reading at home newcastle at home and fulham at home and they're all home games and they're the kind of you know, results that if your your home form starts to improve to that extent, and it has been good, is are they going to slip up more than three times? And even if they lost all three of those games, I think they'd probably still they'd probably still make it. You said earlier to me, Jack, that you've kind of put together like a bit of a fantasy football index of the fixtures remaining, as in like rated the fixtures one to five yeah what were the kind of what was the outcome out of doing that well i took all the fixtures and divided them by the amount of games left because i thought that would give a more ridiculous index i rated them one to five so newcastle away is a five and rotherham at home is a one right okay rotherham away is also a one but you know <laughs> um it's one of those so i've got 2.5 in terms of difficulty ratings higher is worse 2.55 for the Reading run-in, 2.55 for the Wednesday run-in, 2.91 for Leeds' run-in, and then 2.67 for Fulham. But the problem with that is that Fulham's next two games are difficult games, and their last four, are diff- or last three, are difficult games as well. So you think that the kind of period for Fulham where things are going to be make or break is in these seven games between Blackburn and Villa at home. Blackburn, Wolves, Rotherham, Derby, Ipswich, Norwich, Villa. If Fulham can get five wins, six wins there, and not lose, then you think that there's a good shot for Fulham, but they're going to really need to pull it out of the bag in that kind of that kind of period, I think. Yeah, I mean, April is going to be an insanely tough month. I know we've got, I think we've got four away games. I want to say yeah. Rotherham, Derby, Norwich and Huddersfield. That's the one. All in April. And yeah... We, as we said, yes, we can win all our home games, but I still believe our season is going to be defined in the away games. Because, I mean, you got, yes, we may average 77 points or wherever it was, but you, you have to look at the other teams where they're picking up points. And as I repeated earlier, it's just us picking up points against the teams who are going for playoffs as well. Because I think we can't just rely on them to be dropping points. We need to be the team taking the points off them. 100%. If Fulham are, I think where I said earlier, if... Reading were in the top six at the end of that Leeds game, then they're pretty much a shoe in. I think. I think if if Fulham are in the top six after Huddersfield away, with just Brentford at home and Wednesday away to play, then we've got a decent shot. Mm. That's the 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 kind of place we need to be. It's not even like and not even you know one point behind. We need to be in the top six by the end of that game. It's absolutely critical for us to take points off, like Dom says, those other guys that are in the top six, and we can start that with a big. Hopefully a big win tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, and if not, just making sure that Leeds don't take the three home would be great. Um, although I don't see us coming out and being negative in any sort of way. I think we're going to attack this and Slavisa sort of believes and I think the player, players believe that we can get there as well by being offensive unit that we currently are. But as as you say, Jack, like we need to keep, keep going and pick up a huge amount of points throughout the month of April. Leeds have got a tough 
tough game set now, and they've also got a reasonably okay run in towards the end. But the next, their next seven are Fulham away, QPR, Brighton at home, Reading away, Brentford away, Preston at home, Newcastle away. You know, there's there's room for for things to not go quite to plan there. And I know Leeds are playing well and they're grinding out results, but I think if we can if we can stop them tomorrow, if we can if we can put a serious dent in Leeds tomorrow, yeah. like a convincing win, then they're going to look at you know start to look behind them. And I think that there's enough games in there, Brighton, Newcastle especially, where they're going to not necessarily lose, but they're they going to struggle and they points, might not yeah. pick up points. And, and you know, you think that once, if you can get into them and Leeds have got a tendency, they have got a tendency to bottle it. Well, I was going to say, it's like a massive sinking ship, isn't it? If they do get a few holes in the, uh, mm. in the hull, then... <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> you can just, you can see them sliding. And I... I do weirdly have a small soft spot for for Leeds, and I forgive me here. My dad's from my dad's from there. You also went to uni there, and <laughs> and I went to uni there. But they're the kind of club that do fall apart. And we'll come on to tomorrow's game now, as we've mentioned it. They're seven points ahead in the table. Obviously, that could be as little as four points tomorrow night if we do get a win. It is a big game. I was going to say to you guys, do you think that these games against the top sides? are bigger games because surely we just have 12 Fulham games to worry about and is one game against Leeds more important than one game against Ipswich? But you've kind of already answered that question by saying that you think actually those big games against the top sides do take on an added importance. But I've got a uh, Leeds fan here. His name is Dan McCarthy. He's given us a little bit of a preview uh, ahead of tomorrow night's game. Well, from a Leeds perspective, I'd say that this is arguably one of the toughest tests that we've got to face in the running up until the end of the season. Fulham are a team that are banging form right now and arguably the only ones that can mount a challenge to sort of dismantle the top six that are currently sat in the playoff spots. Leeds' form has recently been a little bit patchy. We've been grinding out results, which is always a good thing. The 3-1 result on Friday against Birmingham was a perfect example of that. We were the second best team throughout the game pretty much and we came away with what on paper does look like a very comfortable result. Um, Defensively, we are probably one of the soundest teams in the division, a very, very tough nut to crack and Kyle Bartley and Pontus Janssen have have been superb signings for us this season. So uh, they, they will be hard to get past and as for the result tomorrow... I can see it being quite a low-scoring affair. I know Fulham are a team full of flair and they usually are goals uh, wherever they're concerned, but I think Gary Monk might set the team up to be a little bit more conservative, a little bit more cautious. And to be honest, I think he would accept a point going into the game tomorrow. So my prediction for the game will be 1-1. I think it'll be a hard game for both teams and I think the points will be shared. I'd just like to slightly disagree with Dan to a point. Oof! Well, he said that Leeds are good defensively and a tough nut to crack, and that might well be true at Ellen Road. But actually, they've only kept a clean sheet away from home in three of their 17 away games this season. And Fulham have only been shut out once at the cottage. You'd imagine there's probably going to be goals in that one. Bonus point for anyone that can name the game. Shut out at the cottage. Sorry, where there's been... Fulham did not score at home this season once. Birmingham City. Correct. Oh, bang on. <laughs> oh, yeah, so so yeah, like I'm, a ninja. Like I don't a think ninja. Good at this. There's a reason you're the host and we're not. <laughs> I don't think that you know he's necessarily wrong. I don't think not people don't tend to score many goals against Leeds, but they're not, you know, they're not bringing home clean sheets every week either. They're, you know, they've conceded in even games they've dominated. 
away from home. So you'd imagine that, well, yeah, I agree that Pontus Janssen and, and Carl Bartley have been good signings for the... Uh, not Carl Bartley, is it? Yeah, it is Carl Bartley. Oh, it's Kylie Bartley. Um, Kylie Bartley. Kylie Bartley. Kylie <laughs> um, Well, they've been good signings and they have you know, gone on to, to become a better defensive unit than they were. I don't think that we're going to be shut out by any means tomorrow. And I think that we're going to get opportunities and we are going to create. And I think that if Fulham are as clinical as they were at the weekend with chances, we could really put some some goals past Leeds tomorrow. I think we could really put a dent in them. Yeah, I think it's hard to see any team shutting us out at the moment because we are scoring quite freely. I mean, the last uh, few home games, I think we've probably scored around about, it's 11, isn't it, in the last four? Something like that. If I remember rightly. Sammy? Um, it's, it's been about three goals a game, isn't it? Yeah, so if, if we carry on with that, then, then you can see it by being quite a free-scoring game. The real man to shut out will be Chris Wood. I didn't actually realise till just this second quite how many goals he's got in the league this year. 22. Yeah, he's top scorer. He uh, overtook the injured, the injury-stricken Dwight Gale uh, at the weekend, who's out for the Fulham game. Great news. And he definitely? Yeah, but that was, that was uh, what I read today. Oh, I mean, um, he was much maligned by Leeds fans in the past, Chris Wood, but has suddenly found some goal-scoring boots. So Callas and Reem will have to watch him very, very closely tomorrow evening. Yeah, because what I actually didn't realise is he's not actually that old at all. He's only about 24. Is he? Yeah. yeah. And he's been going forever. I know, because he, he was at the World Cup in 2010, he I want to say. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he was only, he's only 24, yeah. and he clearly has got an eye for goal. I mean, the, the opening goal at St Andrews proves that. Mm. Just pull over the top, one-touch flick over Thomas Kushak. But we haven't exactly got the greatest record against Leeds since we've been in the Championship. We've only won once, I want to say, when Roddy Yeager scored 1-0. Yeah. yeah. And, then, I mean, we should have been at Ellen Road this year. Obviously, Chris Wood, as we're talking about, got a bicycle kick in the last minute, and that's really what sort of kick-started their season, because I don't think they had a point up to then. No. And then after that, they won the following Saturday, I want to say, or the next home game after that. So we have to be careful. I think we'll dominate the game. I think we'll dominate the game possession-wise and probably creating chances, but our defence has got to be on, on watch. We can't have a, any defensive lap like Sessegnon had on the weekend, whether it's Malone playing, which will probably be more defensive laps. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I as much as we have to be good going forward, our defence needs to be concentrating the whole entire 90 minutes. I think like this season, more than most, we've, we've performed exceptionally well against the bigger teams. I think we gave Brighton a really good run for their money and despite them... Get, getting two goals in, in a few uh, in a matter of minutes like we've looked really good against the top teams and we seem really really up for it sort of like the comparisons to Liverpool we made earlier on this season in terms that we can play against the big boys sometimes the smaller teams that we struggle to get up for but you know we're putting them aside really well at the moment as well it's amazing to think that Leeds are in this position um, given how poor they were at Elland Road back in August. It's a bit of a travesty, as you said, we didn't win that evening. Yeah, they have been one of, that's one of the worst performances I've seen from a side this season. They were, they were just dreadful. I mean, we dominated the entire game and then they just had a bit of energy, second win kicked in them in the last five minutes or so and they got that last minute equaliser. I mean, Tom Kearney scored that wonderful curled mm. effort that curled into the bottom left corner. But yeah, we, I think, yeah, we should, if we, as clinical as we were on Saturday, then we should be taking the three points in this game. And I think, Everyone says they'll take a point. I don't think we can because it's a team we need to be taking points off and because Leeds aren't definite for playoffs yet because if they lose this game and then we win our game in hand, we realistically could be only one point behind them. Mm. So I think it's actually a must-win game. Cool. Well, the, the game is, uh, as we speak, tomorrow night, 7.45 at the Cottage. If you want to read uh, an in-depth preview uh, on the game, uh, go to fulhamish.co.uk and our man, Jack Collins, has written a preview. 
Yes, it's basically what I just said um, about <laughs> about them conceding lots of goals away from home and Chris Wood being quite good. What Jack said in prose. Yeah, in prose. Exactly. We've got a big game for Tommy Callas. That was my um, big game for Tommy Callas, who's not been as as solid as he perhaps was to, at the beginning of the season. So he's got he's got a big handful on his hands, and you'd think that whoever wins that duel between Callas and Wood at the back is um, probably a good linchpin for their side's fortunes in the game. So the tough games don't stop there on Tuesday night. We then travel up to the northeast for potentially, on paper, what is probably the most difficult game of the season. I don't think anyone's going to argue with me too much. Brighton away could arguably been as tough a trip. Interestingly, Huddersfield had around 75% possession against Newcastle uh, Saturday tea time uh, when Newcastle uh, won 3-1. So it could be a case, despite us visiting a side top of the league, that will still, by far and away, boss the possession. I think a way to look at that also is that Newcastle are a totally different side at home than they are away. Away, they're just the, the best side in the league, whereas at home, I think in the home like league table, they'd only be about seventh in, in the league or sixth. No idea. But like they haven't been that good at home because every team, well, maybe a few's going there. It's their cup final. Like these, mm. like your Rotherhams, your Burtons, they didn't get to go to these fifty thousand seat centers. I mean, Blackburn did the double over them, and like so. I think it, on paper it looks the hardest game, but I don't think it actually is. You are you are bang on there. Actually, Newcastle top of the away table, only three defeats. Obviously, one of them at the cottage. And we wow, <laughs> twelve more points away from home than the second team in the away table, which is Brighton. So they've taken 41 points on the road. But as you say, seventh in the league uh, in terms of home form, uh, taken 35 points. That's still six more points uh, than Fulham have taken at home this season. So maybe you're right, a very different proposition. And we're, I would say, a better team away from home or we have been over the majority of the season. And So I think we can... I keep. I think we can win most games of the season, but I don't think there's no reason why we can't go into this game thinking we can get three points. I think it definitely depends on which sort of team Rafa puts out, if he's going to be pragmatic Benitez or whether he's going to be the open Benitez that we've seen a couple of times at home this season where they are a little too open. Um, I think it all depends on that, that team selection, especially in the, 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 the midfield, whether he's going to let Shelby be in there with one other or whether he's just going to play one holding midfielder like they have done a couple of times. It really depends on that. And I think they probably aren't going to be used to us coming along and just going all out attack for the most part and trying to overload them in wide areas. They probably won't be used to that. So I think we're going to have a big chance here. Do you think Slavisa's approach may depend on what the result is tomorrow night against Leeds? If he gets the win against Leeds, he may be a little more cautious looking for the draw. If he doesn't get the win against Leeds, he might just go all out. Or do you think Slavisa won't let one game influence his thinking on another. I think we've got to go for the win in both games, really, because we, yeah. we like, yeah, we're going for players, but we need to be, we're behind in these points, so we need to be getting as many points as we can. I think you have to look at every game, as you as you sort of said for the rest of the season, that every game is a must-win because we need to be winning and make, and hoping that the other teams drop points. To quote Bruce Point Forsyth, points make prizes. <laughs> <laughs> Of all your quotes this year, that's the best. <laughs> I love that. Pulls out Bruce Forsyth <laughs> in times of trouble. Um, so would you not take a draw then? Uh, I'd take a draw, but I don't want to be going into the game trying to get a draw. I see what you mean. Yeah, going for a draw is probably one of the most, or probably the riskiest way to approach a game in football ever. Yeah. But I think like the way Jukanovic plays his football anyway, regardless of who we're against, regardless of what result we need, he'll probably come out swinging anyway. Um 
hopefully not as badly as David Hay did this weekend. <laughs> uh, well, that game is at three o'clock on Saturday. Don't forget, for all the reaction to both the Leeds and Newcastle games, uh, make sure you're tuned into next week's podcast. And if you're off on the trip to the Northeast, uh, I know Farrell is, Don will be as well. Uh, have a wonderful time. Always a great night out. Stay. One of the best. Don't come home. One of the best away trips I've ever done. Yeah, Newcastle 100%. away. Uh, Go I'm to very... Top Top Palace. Good there. Three trebles for a fiver at the Soho rooms. Yep. <laughs> and their bubblegum flavour. <laughs> Jack and his northeast tips could last all evening. So let's get on to your questions that you've been sending in today via email and via Twitter. Uh, Secretary Jack is just rustling around the post bag right now. Uh, what's coming? We've got three really good questions, actually. Um, okay. So thank you to these three contributors. I'm going to start with Richard Hobson at Hobson FFC. He likes Fulham. He says, is a lack of depth going to cost us? Our only attacking sub on Saturday was Syriac. Well, what I don't understand is why wasn't... Because Piers on an ET was out, I thought George Williams might be on the bench for the game. Yeah. And I don't understand why, what's the risk in putting on? We had a back four on our bench. Yeah, I know. We had a totally new back four. And I was like, we're playing Preston at home. We don't need that many defensive options. But I feel like it's been like that quite a many times this season that we just don't have many attacking options off the bench. I remember another game where I think we just had a striker on a bench and then our only other attacking option after that was Ryan Sessegnon. That was against QPR away. That was it. And yeah, I do think we do lack in depth. If we get injuries to pretty much any more attackers, especially the three you play behind the striker, we're going to be in relatively deep trouble because there's not, again, as, as we say, there's not much depth there. I mean, you could argue maybe George Williams does deserve maybe a, go. a, a, small, a small little go. Yeah. In, the, in the side yeah, or, yeah. or just send out on loan somewhere he's like yeah, I know he was at 11-11 or something in yeah, under 23 in, in, in the PL2 and the uh, I don't know if he, if, he, if he plays in the Division Cup is that under 23s as well I think he's played in the PL Cup as well and I think he scored in that as well so yeah so I, th- I, th- so I thought he might make the bench on um, Saturday but clearly not so yeah I do think we do lack in depth in attacking positions where in defence I think we're pretty solid I guess is it a matter of how many injuries we have. If we get loads of injuries, then yes, the lack of squad depth will cost us. But if we don't get injuries, then it will be fine. It's just a bit of a gamble. The only thing that I thought was that at Cardiff, at the end of the Cardiff game, we looked absolutely run off our feet. And against Preston this week, we looked much better and like much fresher. And the fact that there are now that happened on a week where there was two games in in a week. And I think that we'll see now at Newcastle if we're absolutely jaded to the to the ends of the earth at Newcastle on Saturday, and that's the reason we don't come away with the perhaps the result we will want. Then that would then be a lack of depth perceived. But you know, until that happens, I don't know if you can call it that trimming of the squad that that we've we've been through all season. I think is now it will start to take its toll, and we we discussed this just after the after the pre Christmas slash Jan Feb slump that we had. That it was down to squad depth, but. I think I completely agree with Dom. If we lose someone in the attacking third of the pitch, then we're going to be in big trouble. But anywhere else, we're completely fine. Um, I think we could use Sessegnon as perhaps an emergency left winger, but I doubt he'd give us any sort of the attacking intent that sort of, you know, like a Cabano or an Aite would give us. And Piazon's like a big miss. His passion and work rate off the ball is something that we're going to greatly miss, I think. But I loved we'll that he was back. in the Hammersmith end on Saturday, Lucas Piazon, about five rows from the front in... Uh... H4, I think. Yeah, so well, I don't know his precise coordinates. I sound like I do, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, you really, really, really made that one sound a bit dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, and this is a, an interesting question as well. 
Morgan Carlton says, do you think that corner taking is adversely affected by the not unsubstantial slope of the pitch? Poor Niskins seem to struggle. First of all, I'd like to point out that saying not unsubstantial is, is a really interesting way of saying substantial, <laughs> Morgan. Um, especially in 140 characters when you're, when you're limited. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very good point in, in, in defence. As someone that's played on those two surfaces put together, um, oh. it's, it's very, very difficult to adjust from one, one surface to another because um, grass, as you know, for, for those of you that have played on grass, it gives you more, more grip if you're using the correct studage, or studs, should we say, whereas 3G is a lot more slippery. And if you go from one surface to the other, it's very, very hard for your feet to adjust and for your studs to give you the correct grip needed. So if I was Fulham, which unfortunately I'm not, and I'm also not the groundsman, um, I would extend that playing surface out to the to the edge just to give us more grip on a corner. But it, it is quite a small change. But at that level of football, you probably would feel it. I personally feel that we've got the wrong person on corners anyway. The person that's taken him is hovering around on the edge of the box looking for a worldie all the time. So my opinion may be a bit more. Is, um, is it the same at the Putney end? Is the is it the big slope and the three G yeah. off yeah. the back? Yeah. Um. Because I've never really been down that end very much to see it. It just looks difficult as you're running up the hill. Like whenever if you've ever played golf, like if you're trying to hit a shot on a hill, it's it's just very difficult. Your body has to stand in ways that yeah. is just not meant to stand. And I just feel like they're doing that run up kind of up. They're having to run up the hill, so your feet are in one position. Then quickly they've got to stand in a position that's flat ground but I've always thought this for years and actually I've never thought that anyone else has ever picked up on the corner thing um I was going to say, do you think it's maybe because we're not that good at corners? And, I was going to say... And we like playing short corners and it probably distracts other teams who score from set pieces more than it does us. But yeah. I have seen plenty of other teams score corners which kind that of true, puts yeah. ends to my theory. <laughs> yeah, I just think we can't take corners. Yeah, we're not yeah. good at them. We really aren't. But also, it is actually a better bet to take a short corner every time. And I was reading some interesting bits and bobs about short corners and how you keep possession. And the amount of times you score from a corner is like 0.009 or something like that. 0.06. No, 0.06. That's the amount of times you score from a corner, which means that you'd need what? Well over 100 corners. Well over 100 corners to score a corner. So... Is it better to go short and keep possession every time? And I don't argue that the answer is yes. Well, as we can't take corners, probably, yeah. No, but even in general, like, yeah, that's for it, everyone. Uh, Imagine how bad that figure must be for us when we're not good at corners at the best of times. We have a very small team as well, yeah. so there's not exactly too many towering centre-backs coming in, um, a la Pulis or something, to score lots of set pieces. I do see the advantage of having a short corner because... As a as a reaction, automatically the opposing team will run out, and therefore you have less cover on the goalposts. Um, I suppose the disadvantage to that is that you can't get around the keeper to stop him coming to claim it. But then again, the keepers can barely be touched nowadays before as a foul called anyway. So I think there is a there is an advantage having short corners. The crowd just hate it. As soon as we go short, it's like, oh, why have we done this? But I can see why we would. So we're gonna bring us on to our final question, and this is from Briefcase Ben, at Briefcase FFC who says, if we miss out on the playoffs and don't go up this season, where do you see our chances lying next season? Well, look at Sheffield Wednesday. They lost in the playoff final. They pretty much kept the same core group of players and they just built on that. I think they could have 
built on it a bit better. Mm. I thought they'd be challenged. I thought they'd be where Huddersfield are, let's say. But yeah, I think that if we keep our core group of players and just build on that, mm-hmm. and there's no reason why we can't finish in the playoffs next year or even challenge for the top two if we yeah as long as we keep the core group of players and even possibly get some a couple of the uh, Chelsea loanees on a permanent. Yeah, definitely. I think someone posted a picture of Callas, Kearney, and Sessignon earlier and said scenes if these three are still here next year and that I think was Frankie was, Frankie Taylor there we yeah. are so shout out that that was a great tweet good, good Twitter account to follow actually yeah it's good tweets um, but I think that is the key thing for me with that question is um, it is a matter of uh, who we keep next year and I just personally don't see us having exactly the same core group of players I think that one or two of our core group will go if we don't get promoted this season but I have faith in Fulham's recruitment in order to replace those players with equally prominent players in the summer, should we fail up to go this year, that would put us in a place to challenge for the playoffs or promotion next year. I just don't see Slavisa. I mean, you can look at Brighton and Sheffield Wednesday. They both they didn't really lose any key key players really from their sides that were challenging last year. So I don't see any reason why we can't. No, oh, I guess the only difference for us is that I, I feel like two of our key players don't belong to us. Oh yeah, I I can't disagree with that point. But at the same time, I think our recruitment process has been markedly improved over the past, you know, two years or so. And we've seen the benefits of that on the pitch. And obviously, if we have that base to build on, the experience of this season, the maturity of the squad, because if we look at, look at it, the majority of our players are quite young. Yeah. Um, probably under 25 for the, for the most part. And we are maturing as a unit. We're maturing in terms of our footballing style. Um and then obviously with Slavisa signing a two-year deal, it's clear to see we've got a bit more of a longer-term vision. You know, the way we're handling ourselves off the pitch is always good as well. So I can see us aiming for automatics next year if we don't go up this year. Um, so I think for me, like, the future's quite bright. Yeah. And is it orange? No, it's white and black. Yeah, it's white and black. The future's bright, the future's white. <laughs> Sound like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Making Berlin grey again. Yeah. So that is the end of this week's podcast. Uh, Thank you once again for listening. Uh, Secretary Jack, do you have a title for today's podcast? I do. Oh, hello. And in honour of Preston's hat game, where they they all turned up in their their bowler hats, I'm just going to go for simply bowled over. Oh, very nice, very nice. Bold Over, then, is the title for today's podcast. We will be back next Monday uh, looking back at the Leeds and Newcastle games and then looking forward to the two games in a week at Craven Cottage, the game in hand, the all-important game in hand against Blackburn Rovers, and then we face Wolves on the Saturday, and then that is our games for March done. Thank you for listening and sharing the podcast. Please do give us a follow if you don't already on social media at Pods on Twitter, on Instagram and also on Facebook. Make sure uh, you follow us on there for all the latest updates uh, throughout the week. We tweet all the time. It's not just the podcast that we're active for on a Monday. We're full of funny jokes and witty analysis and all sorts. Full of our fair share of memes as well. For yeah. what we do like a meme. We do like an meme and I, I probably like an emoji a little bit too much, don't mm. I? Yeah, but, you know, we all have our faults. We do we? all have our faults. Uh, so we'll be back next week. Uh, ben, Dom and Jack, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Awesome. See you later. Take it easy.